Welcome everyone to the third in the UPTLC virtual workshop series. Uh, we will be featuring two presentations this afternoon, uh, followed by a breakout room discussion with whichever speaker you wish to um, speak with. And so the process for that is uh, to rename yourself in the picture window, to add a, um, a, a B for, for Barb's session or an M for Mary's session. Uh, and then we will assign you into a breakout room at, at the end of the sessions. So this afternoon, I am very happy to welcome and introduce Lake State's very own uh, Dr. Barb Light, the Dean of the College of Education and Liberal Studies, and her presentation is Empowering Students to Learn Without You. So Barb, I'm handing it off to you, and if you want to share your screen, that'd be great, or share your... I need to stop sharing. I will stop sharing. Okay. Okay, well, let me get this up and running here. Welcome, everyone. I'm hoping you can hear me. You can wave at me if you can hear me. All right, good. Okay, it's coming. Okay. So um, this actually started uh, last year before COVID um, with some professors that were had to miss some class for various reasons and um, started thinking about how do we empower students to learn without us. Um, and so I will say that just research shows, hands down, the most important thing to student learning is faculty, the person teaching the course. So this is about you doing your job and setting up a learning environment, a learning activity for students, even if you're not there physically. And there might be lots of reasons for that. So empowering students to learn without you. All right, let's see. Okay, I have to get it to somehow move. Oh, there we go. Okay. okay. All right, so here are the outcomes that I'm hoping um, will happen for you in this little mini workshop today. I hope you'll th start thinking about missing class a little bit differently, that it's not the worst thing in the world. In fact, it could set up your students for some really great learning down the road. Um, and I'm hoping you'll think a little differently about what students can do without you. And that ideally you would come away with one new idea. I'm going to throw several at you, but one, I'm hoping that you say there's one that I can use by the end of this um, workshop. All right, so I could use these strategies when I'm away at a conference, funeral or wedding. You know, we have those planned absences. As homework, and this is really critical, that the, all of these ideas, um, if you never miss class, you could do it, you know, you could use these as homework. When I'm sick or quarantined, we're all living in that world right now. And snow day, we still get to teach these, you know, in these times, if we have a weather event or something like that. Okay, so I did a top 10 list. Some of these are obvious, but I want to talk about them. And some of them maybe you haven't thought about before. That's my, that's my hope. So number 10 is really obvious, videos. We've all done this um, when we're not there. They're super easy to put together. There's such great stuff on YouTube, on uh, you know other resources, Vimeo, things like that. 
videos are powerful learning for students. Um, and I would highly suggest that you need a companion assignment. Doing a quiz at the end is okay, but having them do something where they're watching it and jotting things all the way through is probably more powerful learning for this. So um, number 10 videos, great, easy, um, and can be really powerful learning and give your students an experience that they can come back and talk about. You could also do an online discussion for that. Number nine, here's a discussion option, and I've just pulled it. Well, these things that look like they're from Moodle are from classes that I've taught. So here's discussion option number one. Um, it begins as a, this, this particular assignment. So I was in teacher education before I was dean. In fact, I'm actually still teaching a couple of classes in that area. And um, this was to get my students to think about how do they prepare for a substitute teacher. And so because they'd had experience with education, um, they would have a group discussion about, and, and I listed, you can see I listed four questions for them to talk about. Um, and so to get them thinking about, you know, when you're the teacher, what do you do to prepare for a sub? And then after they had a group discussion, they had some individual questions. So imagine that I really can't be there for a day. They can the room. One of the things I love about teaching in higher ed as opposed to K-12, which I came out of, is that, you know, you don't have to worry about having someone step into your class. They can meet without you. You know, there's no liability issues that way. They can go to the classroom and sit there and, and have this lesson, even if I'm not physically in the room. So I could send it to them right before class. I could put it on Moodle for them. I could hand it out, have somebody come in and hand it out or have a student hand it out. But the idea that they would talk first together and then have an individual component um, really made for some powerful learning on this. And this is something they had a lot to say about because they had experienced substitute teachers. Okay, games and simulations. Again, maybe a fairly obvious one, um, but there are a lot of on really good online simulations out there. Um, the PHET site for science, iCivics has some cool stuff. My favorite is the um, amendments. Uh, game uh, where you're running like a lawyer's office um, simulation. And so in these online simulations, the students do something that involves some critical thinking, involves some maybe manipulation, and it's really engaging, high-level engagement, and then you mm -hmm. have something to talk about afterwards. And so that talk about afterwards could be a discussion online, could be um, a classroom discussion the next time you come together, there are things that are out there that you know you'd like to teach but you don't have room in your lab time or you don't have room in your class time and so if they experience it and then process it with you it becomes powerful learning here's another idea a game as in a physical game there is a tragedy of the commons actually there are several tragedy of the commons games um, that are online but think about even like monopoly you know or um so, you know, some common game backgammon or something. Um, you could have them come together and play this. And the Tragedy of Commons game I used, I taught environmental science kind of in a pinch one semester, basic 100 level gen ed kind of class. And the, the Tragedy of the Commons is all about um, like sharing public property, like a lake, for example. And so I had the students play this game in small groups in class, and I actually was there that day great discussion about it. 
So did I have to be there when, if they had the rules and had the materials for the game? No, I really didn't have to be there for that half hour of class. But I wanted them, I knew it was the best way to get to where I wanted them to go. So that's the kind of thing I, you know, might use if I'm not going to be there is get together in small groups, do this really engaging game, and then we're going to talk about how does Monopoly relate to economics and what we've been learning or whatever. Um, again, the goal is to get the student to have a new experience, a really engaging experience, and then you get to proceed um, with the processing and linking it to class. You can have them do some of that before they come to class, but then you can give them feedback on it. Okay, number seven on my list. Open resource, open discussion assessment. Okay, so think quiz here for a minute. Um, I, if I'm not there and my students are sitting in the classroom, I could give them an individual quiz and say to them, you can use anything you want. And then there's no proctor needed. So you can use the internet, you can use your textbook, you can talk to each other about this, but you each have to do your own individual quiz. Um, you can discuss it openly. You know, I'm not in the room, you can talk about it. You can make it due by the end of class so that they have a time limit. Um, and then you have to think about what kind of questions you might use for this. So if it's an analysis question, a scenario question, something that involves a case study, uh, maybe the discussion is really a good part of the quiz. One of the things that I used to do this way on a final exam, it was the one question on my final exam for an education course. Um, and the question basically was, should we fail students or not? in K-12? Should, should people fail a grade or not? What does the research say? And so for that final exam question, they were expected to talk about it and um, have some, do some research and see what the research showed. This is a really big uh, misconception in education that our students had. Um, research says you should never fail a student, basically, that it's bad for uh, not only, and, and this again, this is K-12, uh, bad for self-esteem, it makes them so much more likely to drop out of school, and so on. Um, and so we would talk about then, just as a class in the middle of the final exam, it would be the first question on the test, so they would all, you know, just do it right away. Um, and we had this open discussion about it, and if they got to where I needed them to get with that, um, then they would all get the credit for it. So you could do this without you in the room. Give them the, the quiz. You think about something that they would, you know, really struggle with or something that's really thought-provoking and challenging. The one big hint I have for this is that it probably should be low stakes um, if you're going to do this, especially the first few times. So it might be, I, I just gave you an example where I did it on a final exam, but maybe um, 10 points and not 100 points for such a quiz, something like this. Ha putting the word quiz on it or assessment on it or test on it heightens the, you know, their perception that it's really important. And yet you can really get a great kind of discussion um, out of this that you could have done in a worksheet or something like that. Um, but my own personal experience is that by calling it an assessment, they go to greater lengths with it and get in more depth. Okay, number six on my list is a discussion with visual components. 
Um, so the last discussion was just kind of, you know, you give some questions and then they talk about them and then they have another individual part to it. There are lots of ways to do um, a visual discussion. One is to just put a piece of poster board in front of them and tell them they can't talk. And so students draw and jot notes instead of actually talking. And then they turn in that poster board, leave it for you. Um, and so you might pose the question or a couple of questions to get them going. You might just throw out a topic. Um, I had a really fascinating one of these happen um, with, uh, I was actually working with faculty and I had them do this. They couldn't talk to each other um, during the discussion, but their, um, their topic was assessment. What is assessment? And they got into, you know, talking about it and quickly kind of realized that formative assessment was something that um, they struggled to define and they struggled to try to uh, conceptualize it on paper and in words. And so that was really interesting. So picking some big topic from your class or asking some, some good questions. I've got some examples here of things people have done. Um, there's another way to do this too, where you can allow them to talk and they do sort of a collaborative, collaborative visual representation. And so this is, I've seen this especially in science where they watch a video of an experiment or they actually do the experiment. Obviously, if you're not there, it might be the video. Um, and then they have to capture what's going on. So they, on paper, in pictures and words, diagrams and words, we call this modeling. Um, in science, but it, the real idea here is that it's a visual representation of what, what's happening. Um, you know, can, can you imagine um, saying to your students, can you give me a visual representation of what the stock market's been doing uh, during COVID and, you know, coming up with what would they do? You know, are, are there, is there some trend line? Is there, you know, probably they would come up with some sort of graph, but then they'd have to explain. Um, you know, can you give me a visual representation of our American government? set up. And, you know, so again, these are kind of big concepts that could come together um, very visually. Yes, I've never used it, but I, I saw it and I thought, what a cool idea. Have the students interview each other, but not, not the interview of, you know, who are you and what do you like and, and things like that. The interview about your content. So you could come up with 10 questions and then they partner up an interview asking the questions that you've written, um, which are all about, you know, your content. Um, could be things like, can you think of an example to illustrate blank, where blank is some really important term from your class? Um, or you could have the students write their own 10 questions for the interview. And again, they have to be all about the content of the class. Then the students pair up and interview each other. And so this, I think this would be a really powerful, fun thing for them to do, social engagement, social learning. We know a lot, you know, a lot of research talks about how powerful that is, how good that is. And so they get together, they do the interviews of each other. Um, and then they could write it up. They could, you know, however they want to do it. I put here, they could write a one page paper or answer specific questions. Um, but I think out of those interviews, you might find there's something they're struggling with. And it would be, you know, a way for them to help, to help them understand what they don't understand yet 
and need to ask more about, um, but also a great way for them to give each other ideas um, about the content, the, um, you know, and, and what they've been talking about in class. So that's number five. Number four is a top 10 list. I'd be remiss if I didn't put that on my, uh, my thing today since I'm doing a top 10. I think, so I gave a bunch of examples here. I was just trying to think of things off the top of my head. Um, but top 10 lists for something related to your class could be a lot of fun because they have to then think about things together and say, all right, what are the top 10 events of World War I for my history class? What, what would I say about that? They could do it individually and then compare notes. They could do it in groups so that there's a lot of discussion back and forth. Like, no, that's not so important. This is more important and belongs as number four on the list or so, et cetera. Um, so just thought that's a, it's a fun way for them to do something um, and really have to think more comprehensively about what your, your class is doing. Okay, number three. This one was a revelation for me. Uh, probably, maybe not for you, maybe you're a little more advanced than I am about this, but coming out of K-12, it took me a couple of years in higher ed to say, oh my gosh, I don't actually have to be there for a guest speaker. I can be gone and someone else can come in and teach my class and I don't have to worry about them, you know, like being high school behaviors, which is kind of what I came out of. Um, actually, I was a middle school teacher for a long time, so middle school behaviors. So we don't really have to be present to have a guest speaker in our class. And if you line up someone you trust, someone you know is going to engage them, you follow it up with maybe a quiz and or maybe a test question um, for the next test from this. I did learn that they love to hear from um, people other than us. You know, by this time in the semester, we're halfway through the semester. Having someone else tell them what we've been telling them for five or six weeks sometimes matters. Uh, sometimes they listen more. But I think just, you know, if you're going to be gone, whether it's a colleague, someone else at your university, we have some great research assistants that um, have some really specific areas of interest that could come in and talk about that area of interest in the class. I had one come in um, and talk about her area of interest in science in the environmental science class one time, and it was a great presentation. She did a fantastic job. So you all know people in the field. Um, I thought that was a, a great idea. Okay, number two. So we're getting to the top of my list here. Number two is number two because it's so engaging and so cool. However, it's not number one because it's a lot of work. So a treasure hunt, using all the stuff that they're learning in your class, they have to solve one puzzle before being given the next puzzle. You need to figure out how to manage this. It could be someone in your class. So if you're, this is one that if you just want to do for fun in class and you're there, it's, it's, you can be the manager. But you could have somebody else do this where they get sealed envelopes with their first clue, problem, whatever. They give you back the right answer, then they get the next sealed envelope. And the first one to the end wins and gets a prize. Um, I thought about doing this where I put stuff like, you know, taped under chairs and tables in my lecture hall kind of thing, but that might be going a little too far. That, I was a little worried about, you know, people could easily mess that up if I'm not there especially. This is really great for problem solving classes. So think math for a minute. If you have them solve a problem, they get the right answer, they get the next thing then that's great. There are technology ways to set this up. Um, Moodle has a way that you have to do something and get it right before they can move to the next screen or next step. 
it's a little labor intensive to set it up, but um, no matter which way you do it, online or in person. But can you imagine, I mean, I never had a college class where they did a treasure hunt. You would be the coolest professor ever for this. Um, and they would, you know, they would love this experience. Um, I would also say have a treasure at the end. The cheesier, the better, unless you want to do a few points extra credit, because that's always appreciated. All right. And number one, dun dun dun, drum roll please. It's not that sexy, but it is something that has been the biggest uh, revelation and best thing I did in my teaching in higher ed. It's a reading guide. So early on, I figured out, oh my gosh, they don't read the textbook. And I thought, okay, I spend a lot of time thinking about these textbooks. I really need them to read this. I am not a professor who lectures through the textbook. I only want to talk about the most difficult things, the things that they would have trouble understanding on their own, or I want to work on hands-on activities in class that apply them. I, I don't know that I'm specifically a flipped classroom um, kind of person, but I do think that they can learn a lot from their book without me standing right there telling it to them. So I really wanted them to read their book. And I finally figured out after a little thought that what I needed was reading guides. And you're seeing um, two different reading guides there. You can see one's the introduction for a book called The Art and Science of Teaching. And you don't have to read the questions or anything. These are just examples. The other one is for chapter one in the same book. So I basically am guiding them right through the reading. Read these pages, answer this question. And I try not to just do very surface level questions. So some of my questions are things like, okay, give me an example of this in your own life. You just read about a teacher doing such and such. Give me an example. So I'm, stri I'm striving for the deeper learning and so on. Um, but this has been by far the best thing I have done in my teaching in higher ed to make them read the book. And I have to say, I agree with students who say, why would I buy the book? much less read it if my professor's just going to lecture all their way through it. And so I heard those, you know, those, those sentiments from students and I thought, darn it, they're right. I can't just lecture through my books. I want them to read it and interact with the information. So this is what I did. I think, I, whoops, I'm about out of time and I'm out of my thing. So uh, thank you. I hope that was, that was, Okay, I hope you took an idea away. Thank you. Thank you, Barb. All right. Um, uh, before we uh, go to the next speaker, I just want to remind everybody to start to think about what breakout room you would like to be assigned. Just rename yourself in the um, actual camera window just by it, um, adding a B or an M to your name so that we can pre-assign you to a breakout room. Now to introduce um, our next speaker, uh, Matt Smock from Northern. Hi, everybody. I am happy to introduce our first speaker in the series from Northern, Mary Franzik from our department, or excuse me, School of Nursing. Uh, Mary's going to be talking to us about the importance of self-care during the pandemic or a pandemic, but I think we're all interested in, in this particular pandemic. So, um, Take it away, Mary, and before, well, I always forget this part, sorry. Before you go, I'll remind everybody again um, that as, you, as you're we're working through Mary's presentation here, Mark is going to start putting people into breakout groups towards the end as people make their selections. So 
When you decide which breakout room you want to be part of, please add that initial in front of your name in the participants list. Now take it away, Mary. Okay. Um, I am trying to figure out how to get my, let's see. Do you need to share your PowerPoints? Yep. Um, the uh, share screen button should not be showing up for you at the bottom. I have to make you a co-host. Should be there now. Okay. I just have to minimize. Too many things open. I'll be talking about the importance of self-care, especially during this pandemic. Can everybody see my slides? No. Nope. Really? I, I can't see them. You click share screen and then click your slides in the pop up window that comes up. Oh, brother. Let me end this. I thought I clicked share screen. When you click share screen, then a pop up window should come up that shows the different things that you have open on your computer, and then you'll select the your slides and click share again, and then we should be able to see them. Uh, this is definitely one of the things that causes stress for me in the classroom. <laughs> You can just work it into the presentation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm tr I mi I've minimized everything, and I actually maybe I didn't double click on share screen. So Matt, I see a PowerPoint. I see Zoom at the bottom of my uh, screen. Okay. I see you big. You're well, the only it, thing. That's not good. You're the only thing I see in my screen. Okay. Um, okay, hang on. Let me move you. And I have to get this to share screen. No, I don't want to leave the meeting. There we go. No, please don't. <laughs> okay, so do I click on share in the window? I clicked on a blue share before. Yeah, you you click on you clicked on the share screen there. I see it's coming up now. Okay. It's, it hasn't. Uh, there we go. Now we're seeing your your PowerPoint. So you just need to start the presentation, and we'll be okay. Able to see it. There we go. We're gonna go back a little bit here. Okay. So what you're looking at is not Marquette currently. 
um, you're looking at a picture of, let me get back to the actual picture. Okay, this is a picture of the Dead River. It's going underneath the old uh, bridge. And this is from 2012. This is one of my most favorite shots uh, of fall in Marquette. So I thought I would put that on here since we all are going to be experiencing fall shortly. And I'm Mary. I'm an associate press professor in the School of Nursing. And I want to start out with Buddhas, a quote from Buddha. You can search through the whole, throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself. And that person is not to be found anywhere. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. Especially during a pandemic. And if you're not taking care of yourself, I highly encourage you to try to put in one of the things I'm going to suggest in the following slides. Of course, I'm a nurse, so I go back into nursing. The definition of self-care um, initially that I want you to go with here is that it's a practice of activities that individuals initiate and perform on their own behalf in maintaining life, health, and well-being. This is a picture of Dorothea Oram. She is uh, one of the nurse theorists um, that I have followed in my career. And she has a theory of the self-care deficit, which makes a lot of sense um, to us nurses when you're actually trying to teach theory to nursing students. Um, the next person is Dr. Barbara Dossi. Um, Dr. Dossi answered an email from me it was about 5 a.m. in the morning, and she answered it by 5.15. I was very impressed with, with that because I was trying to find a tool to measure self-care. And I had found a tool in a dissertation from a graduate student, and um, I found her email address. And she answered it, and she said, sure, go ahead, use this. So what the tool is, it's called Integrative um, Wellness and Health Assessment. It's the best tool that I have found to actually assess all areas of your health, uh, which includes your life balance and satisfaction, relationships, spiritual, mental, emotional health, physical, which is the three things of nutrition, exercise, and weight, your environment where you live, and health responsibility. I actually was unable to have people actually fill this out. I was going to bring it to the UPTLC conference in May and have people fill it out in person. I wanted to supply it to people. Um, I can, I will be supplying it electronically. If you're interested in obtaining this tool, please send me an email. My address is coming up. But I asked the students that filled it out yesterday, how effective was it? And these are first semester nursing students. They are under a lot of stress with this pandemic. We're pushing in as much as we possibly can um, so that we have hands-on learning with them, plus everything else that we usually teach them in the first few weeks of class. One said it helped me realize how stressful I was. Another one said that I learned I wasn't eating well. Um, I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't exercising. Another one said it helped me to learn to change my life, my living situation. And finally, this one I was really impressed with. Thank you for the 30 minutes in class to complete this form. 
Since I work full time, I never take 30 minutes for myself. My question for you is how much time are you taking for yourself every day? The time to complete the uh, integrative wellness, health and wellness assessment takes less than 30 minutes. One of my students told me today she doesn't have 15 minutes in a day. She's working full time. Think about that. She hasn't even gotten through the nursing program yet. Um, the assessment form helps you to uh, prioritize your goals. You are important. Think about this. When they tell you to put your oxygen mask on in the airplane when you're going to be traveling, do they tell you to put it on your child first? No. They tell you to put it on yourself, tighten the mask, make sure it's fitting, make sure your oxygen is flowing, and then put it on your child. And I always want you to think about that because who do we take care of more than ourselves? Um, again, it's the best self-care tool that I've ever had. I'd like you to report back to me um, with your, if it's helped you. And it's copyrighted by the International Nurse Coach Association. So I, have to, I had to get special permission to use this. And I do have permission to put it in on my email on my website, which is something separate from Northern, and to email um, and to give it to people and students that come to my presentations. The first thing that you need to know about self-care, it requires daily commitment. It requires self-discipline and self-love. You need to set smart goals when you're actually taking care of yourselves. And we're all educators, so we all know that that means specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. You want to track goal attainment. This can be through journaling, through a diary. You can record it on a calendar. I don't care how you do it. Smartwatch, Fitbit, cell phone app. There's so much available for us right now that that's one good thing about technology, that we can actually be tracking exactly what we're doing so that we can look back a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, and see exactly what have we done in this period of time to help ourselves. The other big effect in my life, besides the first two people I talked to you about, uh, was Janet Menken. Janet uh, established Healing Touch within nursing. Healing Touch is an energy medicine. And she said that for those of us that provide either healing or teaching or anything to other people, which is all of us, every human being, we need to do seven things which are... The first one is physical clearing. You need to take care of your physical body, emotional clearing. You need to be able to express your hurts and pain and your joys and happiness. You need mental clearing. You need to create new habits, new ways of doing things. And this is not only in teaching. This is in your life. You need to create sacred space in your life. If that's in your home, if that's in your office, when you're traveling, always have something special there for you. It can be a candle. It can be an essential oil. Um, it can be anything. I actually used to carry rocks around in my pocket because there's certain rocks I like. Um, experience silence. Holy smokes. Move into quiet meditation. Holy silence. And I get into depth in these in the following slides. Holy leisure, bring balance into your life. Restore yourself through leisure. If you have to, put it in your day planner. And holy relationship, commit yourself to others 
and commit to yourself. So the first one I wanted to talk about is physical clearing during the pandemic. I want you to think back to March. Your first time you went into the grocery store, you had a mask on. If you went by the fruit and vegetable section, they were full, okay? What was empty? Toilet paper, hot dogs, mac and cheese, and anything that you could quickly prepare with food. And um, during this pan, during any pandemic and any time, have some fresh fruit and avail fresh fruit and veggies available instead of the stress foods. When you're under stress, the first thing you're going to want is sugar. Then, well, maybe not. Maybe some people want salt. But then you go for carbs and fat. If that's all you have hanging around, that's what you're going to go for. It's, it's, I know it sounds simplistic, but that's one of the things. The other thing is, if you're going to start an exercise program, try to find a friend to do it with you. A lot of times you're going to be more engaged in something when you have somebody to go with you and do it with you. And the same thing they say about losing weight. Um, get outside. Go for a walk. In the winter, you can snowshoe. Some people cross-country ski, some people snowmobile. I mean, whatever you want to do. And the other thing that um, I think Barb had mentioned, the videos are so available on uh, like YouTube videos. As far as like if you want to exercise when you're 60, you can find a video to exercise to when you're 60 to lift weights with. So use the tools that we have. Um, and then the other one that I was going to tell you is just establish a sleep routine. I think people, when they're under stress, think that the more they work, the less sleep they get, the more they get done, the better the quality is. And it's not true. We need six to eight hours of sleep as an adult. And you want, well, Janet Menken would tell you, she only needed eight hours horizontal. Personally, eight hours horizontal doesn't work for me. Um, I need sleep. Emotional clearing. Don't bury the pain. Don't bury, and don't bury the happiness and joy. Express yourself, especially to those that you love and that love you. I want you to think back to 9-11. When the airplane was crashing, who did they pick up the cell phone and call? They called their family and the people they loved. And that's the most important thing. We need to communicate appropriately with those we love and to let them appropriately communicate with us. What needs to be said? Let go of whatever else you don't need to say. Let it go. Mental clearing. This is the one they tell you to learn a new board game. Yeah, right. I got time for that. Yeah, I can learn a new language. Yeah, give me, give me that French book. I can pick that up. Um, try some new recipes. Heck, I, that's not me. The thing that I'm trying to embrace, and you guys all saw it, it's fact, um, technology. Um, I ask the students for help. I show, throw up my um, PowerPoint slides, and I, I do put a video in there, Barb, just so you know, because... Uh, <laughs> because... Because I'm like, it threatens me. But yeah, they, they're excellent. They like those videos. But um, try something new, something a little bit different. You don't have to really, okay. And the other one I wanted to share with you guys is those um, roundabouts. 
Has, have you guys from Lake State been to Marquette and the roundabouts? I used to have panic attacks going into those things. I'm talking white-knuckling them, okay? And this morning, I'm like doing 25 going around the corner, no problem whatsoever. And I'm like, well, I remember when I used to have panic attacks doing that. But anyway, I get off topic sometimes. Create sacred space, especially in your home. And Janet Menken says when you travel, whatever that is and whatever it takes for you to do, you know, I don't know. And then have some items around you that you love. One of the things I love to do is take a healing bath, okay? And I'm not going to get into that because not everybody should be taking uh, hot baths with Epsom salts. But this is something that you do that promotes restfulness, quietness. It calms your spirit. Experience silence. Please don't turn off this computer right now. I need, I need, <laughs> I need to finish this presentation. But... Get in the habit of turning off the news. Who needs to listen to the news every night? Um, I'm not saying that you need to do this, but I gave up my charter um, uh, subscription years ago. I'm a lot happier because I don't watch the news during this pandemic, but that's my choice. Shut the computer off. Shut the video games off. Go out into nature. Listen to the leaves rustling, birds singing, inhale the scent of the pines. I mean, you can smell fall com coming. And, and experience, experience silence, definitely. Anyway, holy, holy leisure is to set some time aside for yourself, especially during this pandemic. Oh, my God. We had to bring our jobs into our homes. We have to have Zoom meetings in our homes. We have, I mean, it's like, we need our time alone and our time away from technology. But again, that's my, my deal there. Um, and then leisure helps to create balance in our life. And then holy relationship. Who or what are you committed to? Commit to yourself and others. We were meant to be social. I think the hardest thing for me in this pandemic is not being able to touch people, to stay six feet away, to have a mask on and a uh, shield, face shield when I'm presenting. Um, and again, communicate with those that you love. Try snail mail. Try cards, letters, pictures. I know people don't send Christmas cards anymore, but I encourage you to think about it. It's, it's a really good way to connect with people, with a letter, the old school way of doing things. And again, you might have more suggestions than me on this. And then you can always use your iPhone. I hate using FaceTime. My head looks like it's about gigantic. It takes the whole screen up. And I'm like, oh, my God, why would you, anybody ever use this? I like to have phone conversations, but that's me. So anyway, let's review this. Complete your form. I'll send it to you. You guys email me. If you need my email, I think it's there, isn't it? Um, somewhere. It's in my slide presentation. I'll send it to you. If you want, we can, I can give it to you also in the chat after. Um, track your progress with your goals. Take whatever you need out of this presentation. I'm not telling you to do everything. There's no way in heck. Start small. And just take, do one thing for yourself. Um, and then self-care, again, is a daily habit. 
requires discipline and love for yourself. And then I wanted to point out a website for you. It's called the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. It's excellent. Um, your tax dollars at work. And there's research on all integrative therapies that are there. The website is there. Um, and specifically, if you're interested in herbs, they have a whole section on herbs at a glance, and they talk about the medicinal use for those. And they just describe the research that we've done for the effectiveness of acupuncture, yoga, tai chi, qigong, and the, the list just goes on and on. And for me, that's it. And I wish you all well on your path. I hope you have a beautiful autumn, and I hope that you can really enjoy some time with those that you love and with yourself. Have a good one. Thanks, Mary. So Mark is working on putting everybody into the breakout room. So if you haven't already, uh, if you would like to go in the breakout room with Mary, put an M before your name. If you'd like to go in the breakout room with Barb, put a B. And he will break us out into those Q&A groups shortly. Yep, we just have two folks left to go. So maybe what we'll do is we will go into the breakout rooms and um, Matt, I'll be, I will be facilitating Barb's and you'll be facilitating Mary's. But I think um, I have to wait to go in until, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the last two people um, that, that I have to assign. Um, but right before we go in, I just want to let everybody know that the next um, UPTLC uh, virtual workshop will be Tuesday, October 13th. Uh, we have Lake State's Russ Seawright uh, talking about in, uh, in defense of distance education, lessons learned from Zoom. And uh, Michigan Tech's Isaac Wedig, Wedig um, uh, giving a talk on uh, on, uh, let's see, his talk will be on collaborative group testing implemented online using Zoom. So I will open up the rooms and we'll have a little talk. And when we're done, we're done. So thanks, everyone. <laughs>